Thank you so much to the worship team. Thank you to the AV crew that worked so hard to serve us so well. Larry alluded to it a minute ago. We are continuing a series where we've talked on Sunday mornings here about conscience. And this series does push us into some tough places. It makes us think about some things that are challenging. And I do have a fear, and that is that as we get like near some tough subjects, it would be very easy to like just pull back and not really think about it, not do the hard work of exploring what our, our conscience is and what it is telling us. Because it's tough and complicated and sometimes takes a lot to process through this. So I just want to encourage you, I do believe God can do and is doing some really good work. So don't stop short of what God is doing. This is week three, and just many of you will have gotten the email during the week, but we have put together one place where you can locate the messages. So it's ogletown.org slash conscience. So if you go to that, you'll be able to see the messages. There's some other things that I've tried to pull together that will help us in this series. The first week of conscience, this series we talked about, basically a description of what our conscience is. What our conscience is and, and trying to get some idea of exactly what we're talking about from Scripture. And I tried to give three descriptors that kind of pull it all together. A, a description where it is this uh, internal sense. So it's an internal sense of right and wrong that is giving us a push to do right. So again, putting that together and we don't have time to hash, uh, rehash all of these things. But our conscience is something inside, yet it feels independent, that is really getting in the areas of what is right and what is wrong with telling us, reminding us, kind of that voice that is us but it feels independent of us, we need to do right here. That's what we talked about the first week and last week, again, as Larry alluded to, what we just, what we just did in taking the Lord's Supper, it, it's a reminder of what we talked about last week and that our guilt and our shame have been dealt with, even even at the conscience level. And God is giving you a conscience. And I just have to say, what, what a gift that God would hardwire every, every human being with that capacity to like be able to discern right and wrong and push us to do right. That's a gift. We have this gift of conscience. And I want to press through one more area, a, another question this week. I think it naturally flows if if conscience is this voice that is inside of us yet independent, and if it is helping us discern right and wrong, then I think the next question that I'm led to would be, is your conscience telling you the right things? Is your conscience telling you the right things? Is it sending you the right signals or the wrong signals? So when it comes to this internal sense or voice inside of you, is it, is it monitoring things or is it missing things? The label that I've come across most as I've been reading and studying and preparing, especially for this subject, is the label a calibrated conscience. And I think the label's helpful because when you, what do I mean by calibrated? When, when you talk about calibrating something, to calibrate just means you're checking an instrument a measuring instrument to see if it's accurate. So you're trying to discern, is this, is this monitor, is this gauge, is it, 
Is it accurate? So we talk about a calibrated conscience. We're saying the conscience is a measuring instrument for us. And, and is it calibrated? Is it, is it giving things accurately? You want scales to be accurate. You want the gas gauge in your car. Like it's, it's not helpful if it's reading a quarter tank and you don't have that. It, 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 if there's a, a medical monitor of some sort and it malfunctions, it's not calibrated right, that's not helpful to you. So it is with the conscience. Is it monitoring things correctly? That's the desire. I think it's helpful to start when we talk about a calibrated conscience. Maybe helpful to start off by just thinking through and think through with me what would be ideal when it comes to conscience. When it comes to conscience, what's, what's the ideal thing? And I think the ideal thing would be that our conscience helps us to be in perfect alignment with what God wants. I mean, this is ideal. That our conscience would be 100% accurate with what God wants. That there would be perfect alignment. No deviation from that. That it would always measure things according to God's will, according to God's revealed will. Because if it like fires us, if it fires at all the right times and sends us all the right signals and messages and leads us in all the right directions, then think about that. If if it if it does and, and we respond to conscience appropriately, then then think we could live a life where we would not have regret. We could live a life if it's ideally functioning and we're responding to it perfectly, then we would not harm others. We would live totally for the Lord. We would have peace in our hearts. We would look more and more and more and more like Jesus. What if the sense, what if that internal voice, that internal sense of conscience was always right? What if it always led us to do the right thing? Well, that would be ideal. But the question that follows right after you say this is the ideal is what is reality? What is the reality? We can talk about ideal, but the reality is we live in a world that is in rebellion against God. We see it all over the place. And because we are sinners, we have these hearts affected by sin, and that affects things. That affects our conscience. We live in a world rebelling against God, and in our hearts, we are sinners. By God's grace, conscience is going to serve you really, really well. I'm grateful for it. But it doesn't always work the way it should because we live in this fallen world. You think about how many things shape your conscience. It's probably a good thought experiment. For you to just mentally go through, if you had to list maybe the top two or three things that have really shaped your view, and by conscience I'm saying really, really shaped your view of right and wrong. So when you think of right and wrong, what has shaped that the most? I think we would have to acknowledge influential people in our lives. Maybe it is your parents. Probably many, it's likely that had the, the first shaping influence or a relative or maybe some friends. People who taught you right and wrong, people who shaped your moral compass that kind of helped that alarm get fire when you do this and, and, and tell you it's okay, do this and it'll be fine. I, I have to think though, uh, there are other, so many other shaping influences. 
on your conscience. One would also be your temperament or your personality. So we're all wired so differently, and probably many in the room have taken some sort of personality or temperament test. Do you think that goes into shaping how you see right and wrong? I'm positive it does. I'm positive it shapes how you perceive right and wrong and why you might perceive it even differently than others if you think of your temperament or you think of your education. So there's certainly the formal things and, and even in preschool, sure the teacher is teaching you know, some basic, basic math or reading or some of this sort of thing, but also the teacher is forming conscience, saying we don't do this. This is right, this is wrong. So there's formal education, but there's a whole lot of informal education. Do you think it shapes your view of right and wrong when you watch cable news for two hours? Do you think it shapes your view of right and wrong when you scroll for an hour or two or three every single day? Do you think that's having a formative influence on, oh, I can see where this is right. I'm not sure that's okay. What well, has a huge influence on it? And then there are our experiences. You think someone growing up in a situation of abuse or trauma or having to deal with deep grief, do you think that shapes conscience at all? Or how about the culture? All you have to do is take a step out of the culture where you grew up, the culture you're most familiar with, and you land in a very, very different culture, and you realize there are aspects where they see things as right and wrong that are different from you. And you begin to realize the culture that I've grown up in has a very shaping influence on how I see right and wrong. I mean, we certainly put religion in there, or more specifically Christianity, more specifically how long you've been a Christian, more specifically how serious you take that walk with the Lord. Well, that sure, surely would have a lot of shaping influences. I mean, all that affects your conscience. So when I'm talking conscience of your beliefs, con conscience when it relates to your values, when it relates to your priorities and how you, how you do prioritize some things and how other things are minimal to you, your actions, your motivations. All these places are places where your conscience works. And the question again is, like, is your conscience correctly calibrated? The reality is, for all of us, because again, we live in a sinful world, because there's, it's so complex of a subject, our consciences are not correctly calibrated 100% in every area of our life, which actually does have some detrimental effects. It it does have some effects, the fact that the reality that our conscience isn't perfect in alignment with God's revealed will and word, then it does mean a few things. And think about it with me. When your conscience isn't calibrated correctly, it could excuse you from something that's sinful. So what do I mean? Instead of alerting you, instead of alerting you that you've done something wrong, when it's very, very clear that you have, what if your conscience doesn't fire? What if it actually goes the opposite way and says, you didn't do anything wrong? Totally okay. You see what happens? Your conscience isn't 
calibrated correctly, it's excusing you when it should be firing. This is dangerous. Actually, it's dangerous, and we know this from Scripture when you look up, if you just do a search on the word conscience and then look at all the things that are related to conscience, one of the things you'll come across in the book of Titus, in Titus 1.15, it says this, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both mind and conscience are defiled. That's a strong word. So what is that saying? It's saying there is a place where your conscience gets so desensitized, it doesn't fire as it should. It gets defiled. Maybe at one time your conscience did fire. So if you told a lie, you embellished the truth a little. The conscience said, no, no, we don't need, we don't need to do that. You don't, shouldn't do that. And maybe you just hit override. Maybe you did it a dozen times. Maybe you did it two times. Now to where... You can lie and embellish stuff, and you really don't even think twice about it because the conscience has become defiled. Or maybe there's some amount of sexual immorality in your life that your conscience just really doesn't even send you a signal that that's wrong because you've hit override so many times. Maybe there's bitterness that you, this grudge that you're nursing and you've justified it so many times that actually your conscience doesn't quite fire, doesn't tell you that's not okay. You've been forgiven much. How can you hold that against others? Maybe slowly but surely the conscience becomes defiled. I have a a really good friend who's a pilot, and we were talking about this. And he said, Curtis, it's so interesting. Like when you talk about control panels and monitors and all that, he said, when I drive... And he's got a new car that seems to monitor everything. And then there's always something that it's monitoring that there's a problem. And so there's this thing and this thing on the dash and this light and this light and this light. And he said, over time, I've realized, like, I don't, there's lots of those monitors I don't even pay attention to. There's some things that are like, okay, that thing, oh, yeah, it's a weird thing with this model of the car. It always, it always says that it does this. But it, really, everything's okay. Some people even take it to the extreme of, like, you just put black electrical tape over. I don't even want to see it because I know it's okay. I'm not going to worry about it. And he said, how differently it is when I fly because when I fly, I'm grateful for this. He says, when I fly, any sort of deviation, any sort of signal, any sort of monitor or alarm, he said, I take very, very seriously. I wonder if that gives us a picture of what defiled conscience, instead of taking things seriously, we just begin to numb and desensitize. If the conscience is messed up, it malfunctions. It doesn't give an accurate reading. This is, that's not a big deal. That's not a problem. When you may be harming yourself and harming others. If you play it out further even, 1 Timothy 4.2 gives another label on this idea of conscience. And it tells us that a conscience actually can be seared, which is a strong, strong word. A conscience can be seared, can come to a, if I understand it right, it's a point of no return when it comes to conviction and guilt and shame producing any sort of productive value. Instead of that, it's actually been overridden so much that it is completely immobilized. This is, if you've read Romans 1, it's like Romans 1 category. It's awful. This is the full extent of what God warns us about. This should be fearful and actually fearfully motivating to care for our conscience well. Because we don't want to get to the point where nothing fires when we do wrong. Nothing fires when we're disobeying God and hurting others and harming ourselves. It's when the gift of God hasn't been taken care of. 
You see how when the conscience isn't calibrated, it could excuse you. No big deal here. Don't worry about that. That's no problem when you actually should be dealing with your sin. It can excuse you in areas of sin. There's another way the conscience can be calibrated incorrectly. And that is when it condemns you in areas where you have freedom. So you, do you see the difference when it, it is firing, telling you you've done something wrong, and maybe this is the oversensitive conscience where it's saying you shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that. You did this, I bet that was wrong, bet your motive was wrong here, bet this was wrong, this action, this activity. It's almost, and the image that just kept coming to my mind of that oversensitive conscience, maybe it's like a shock collar that it just seems like it is firing and you feel this pang of guilt all the time, all the time, when you do anything. So it means you're constantly worried. You constantly believe you've disappointed God. You constantly think that probably was wrong, that was wrong too, probably shouldn't have done that, probably shouldn't have done that. You're nervous, you're apologetic, you always feel guilty, you're oversensitive, and how paralyzing that can be. When God tells us, like, rejoice in the Lord, and when he said, I've given you everything for you to enjoy, and instead of enjoying it, you're paralyzed because you don't know, maybe I shouldn't, maybe, maybe I was wrong in that, maybe I did this wrong. How debilitating, how confusing, how confusing it is when your conscience is not calibrated correctly and it's oversensitive. Scripture does speak to it. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, Romans 14, it speaks to it actually quite a bit, but Romans 14 is so packed that, of course, we don't have time to unpack it all, but the good news is we have the rest of the week for you to look in your Bible and study, and I, I can't recommend Romans 14, Romans 15 enough to navigate these areas of conscience. But I want us to look, we're going to look at it through the lens of individually, how does this work in calibrating your conscience? How, how, how does it work? How does it fire correctly instead of incorrectly? How does it not like load you up with so much guilt, condemning you when actually you have freedom in Christ to enjoy things? Romans 14 talks a lot about our consciences living together, and we're going to get to some of that next week. But today, Again, if you'll just let me selectively pick a few verses going through this chapter, and I encourage you to read the whole thing. Verse 2. So notice the difference in conscience here. One person believes he could eat anything, while the weak, and this is weak not in physical strength, but weak in faith, while that weak person eats only vegetables. What is that talking about? Well, there are two Christians in this setting wrestling through some customs related to eating meat, particularly if we measure it against other places in Scripture, it's eating meat that had been offered to idols. So it had been used in a way that no Christian should participate in that, but is it okay to eat the meat that someone had offered to idols? One person believes, I can eat it. Clear conscience. But there's another person who makes a different action, stemming from what's called weak faith, and he or she doesn't eat. It seems like Scripture is saying both are honorable. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. The subject change of one person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Well, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. 
The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, gives thanks to God. For none of us, this is some of the key here, verse 7, for none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I mean, these are interesting words, like esteeming and being fully convinced and observing things and abstaining from other things, trying to honor the Lord, trying to give thanks to God, recognizing that we're the Lord's, recognizing we are not our own. The clear conscience, the calibrated conscience says, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to do this or not do this for the glory of God, which is a helpful measuring stick for me. I think a measuring stick for all of us. Can you do this activity? Can you believe this? Can you have this priority? Can you, can you walk down this path going, God, this is for your glory. I give thanks to you for this. I want to honor you through it. Notice how the conscience is meant to fire. It says in verse 12, reminding us how serious this is, so then each of us will give an account before account of himself to God. So your conscience, is it doing you favors when it comes to giving this account to God or is it actually confusing things? That's why it matters that it's calibrated. When you've got to give an account to God, is it help, helping you, serving you? Because it's calibrated correctly. Verse 14, we hear Paul's calibrated conscience here. He says in verse 14, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean. I can eat the meat and I know in the Lord it's fine. As far as eating goes, I have freedom. I think Paul would say, you have freedom to eat. It's set before you give thanks, honor the Lord. But then he says, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Here's something critical. If you think something is sin and you intentionally do it, then your intention is to sin and that's sin. So this gets, this gets a little complex, doesn't it? But imagine, imagine with me, and I'm going to pull it to the extremes maybe help, helping you appreciate a principle here. Imagine if somewhere along the line, my conscience said, it is sin to wear a blue shirt. First of all, I'd be in massive trouble, as all my family would say, because that's all I've got is blue shirts. But imagine, for some reason, my conscience was formed that said, you know, if I wear a blue shirt, I am sinning. God doesn't want me to do that. But I'm going to wear it anyway. Other people seem to be fine doing it. I don't think I should. I don't think it's right. I don't think God's honored by it. But I'm going to do it anyway because that's what I want to do. Scripture says if you intend to sin, you, you are sinning. It's why we've got to protect it. I mean, how sad would it be when I have a, a freedom to wear blue, red, pink, yellow, where I could wear whatever I want to in honor to the Lord. My conscience shouldn't fire, but it fires. Do you see the danger of an oversensitive conscience? Verse 22, can I... I hate to go through these verses as quickly as we are. There's so much more left. But the faith that you have, verse 22 says, you keep, you observe between yourself and God. And blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for, for whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Here's what I'd say. Bottom line is if your conscience is going to pass judgment on you for doing something or thinking something or feeling something or believing something, you actually want it to, to be passing accurate judgment. You actually want it calibrated right where it's not limiting freedom that you have. You want to be able to stand in freedom. You want to be able to, yeah, go ahead and laugh and celebrate and enjoy and serve 
and dance and give and smile and sing and do whatever to the glory of the Lord. You have freedom to do that. And if God so convicts you, hold back. Fast instead of feast. Lose instead of gain. Exercise restraint. Cry, sacrifice, stay silent, mourn. And you have freedom to do that. You can do so with freedom without your conscience just firing over things that it never should fire over. It's complicated. It's complicated, which means the question I keep coming back to is like, how does all this work? How does all this work? Our conscience needs a whole lot of work. Like, how are we ever with all the influences, all the things that have shaped it? And it doesn't seem like the older you get, the more you realize, like, some of these things are pretty deeply ingrained in me. Like, this is going to take work to sort through where my conscience should be firing, where it shouldn't be firing. And this is where, if any of you know me well, like, I hate, I hate simplistic answers to complex situations. And when someone says, well, you just, it's like, it's never you just. Whatever it is, it's not you just. It's not that simple. There's so many more layers. So I don't really have a, well, you just, here's how it works. It just, like, I don't have any of that to offer you today. But I do have good news. And I, I want you to please stay with me here and think through, okay, how, how does this work? I think the place I start is recognizing for those who are Christians, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, there have there has been a massive definitive change in you. Scripture talks about conversion. It talks about sanctification. And that massive definitive change means you have new loyalty to Jesus that you otherwise would not have. You have new motivations to live for him and be grateful to him that you otherwise would not have. Because you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit giving you new power that otherwise you would not have. It's been a massive definitive change for you. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. There's something definitive. And you have a new source of authority so that when Jesus speaks, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They know it. That is Jesus' voice. And we follow him. There's something different, which over time begins to correct us and go deeper into our heart. I love what some person said, and, and that is with a Christian, you not, you not only have a conscience, you have a supercharged conscience. And I think that's a gift to us. It's been rewired. We're not the same. We'll never be the same. You think of all of that coming in. That, that works. How does all this work? Well, that works to supercharge our conscience. But I want you to look at this uh, verse in Philippians. Some of you will undoubtedly be, be familiar with it. It talks about, like, we're asking, how does all this work? Listen to Philippians' answer to a larger question, but it certainly applies here. Therefore, my dear friends, Paul's writing to believers just like you and me, just as you, as you have always obeyed, like keep, keep obeying, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. And then we've talked about, like, how does all this work? So this is one way it works. We work out our salvation. So he says to those believers, so you're 18, so you're 15, so you're 85. Work out your salvation and do it with fear and trembling. You've got to go to work. How does it work? Well, you put some things into practice. You make an effort. But then notice what it also says about work. 
What does verse 13 say about work? For it is God who works in you. God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So God's at work, working out his good purpose, and we are working out our salvation. It's not a matter of which is it. Both of these come together. And so we have these gifts of God where God is at work in us and we have this work we're called to do, which means not only is there this massive definitive change, but there's also this slow, progressive change and conformity making us more and more like Jesus, shaping our conscience more and more and more. This is a gift from God. It takes some time. It takes some time, especially, especially, so some of you, like when you came to Christ, your life before that had been so loose. Your conscience had not convicted you of things. Now looking back, you see like, I should have felt bad over all these. I wasn't even feeling bad. And it takes a while to navigate what, what should I feel guilty over and what should I have freedom to enjoy? Or maybe you come from a very strict background, maybe a, a culture or a religious background where every single thing was prescribed and now your conscience just seems to fire all over the place and it doesn't seem like it's serving, it's paralyzing, it's joy killing. And you want to just live to the Lord, but instead your conscience is firing and flexing at all these different places. What, what do you do? Well, God's going to work on you and in you, and you are working out your salvation. So what does that mean? Well, God has given you a gift of his word. And then we have to work out, okay, what does it mean? He's given us a gift of telling us, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And then we work that out. What does that mean for my decisions? What does that mean for how I intend on using my major? Or how we are meant to use our, our occupation or our family or our marriage or our home? We go to work. We work it out. Don't think of your, only of your own things, but think of the needs of others. How do we work that out? Don't be vengeful. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. How do you work that out? And we have the gift of God's word that says, it'd be better if you just plucked your eye out than to let your eye lead you into sin. How do you work that out in the area of sexual immorality, in the area of lust and temptation and pornography? How do you work it out when the Bible says, we ought to pray without ceasing? What does that look like? We pursue the truth hard. And his voice is the loudest. And we begin to work it out. But, but by God's grace, it isn't just you, know, you and your brain trying to figure things out. You have a community of other believers. And certainly that's a gift. God's given you the gift for his purposes. But then we have to lean into that as well. We begin to listen to other believers who are for us, who love the Lord, who are pushing us toward the right things. It's a gift. Should I make major decisions without the community of Christ speaking into this? I mean, maybe I'm worried. Do I, am I fulfilling an, a family ob obligation? Could the community that Christ has placed around you help there in proximity and partnership? They're with you. To calibrate our conscience. Again, there's no simple answers, but certainly calibrating your conscience would be, what am I here for? What a gift that you're not here aimlessly. It isn't random. But you've been given a great cause, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, 
Do all to the glory of God. You've been given a great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, these are great, great things that you set before yourself and then you work out the implications. Would this decision be for the glory of God? Would this decision help me love him more and love my neighbor more? It's calibrating our conscience. Okay, if I, why am I here? Is that going to speak to materialism? Is it going to speak to modesty? Is it going to speak to how consumed I am with my appearance? Is it going to speak to those things if the great cause of my life is the glory of God? God is gracious to work out his purposes in ways where we get heavy doses of humility. I mean, it's no fun, but it's gracious of God to put us in circumstances that absolutely humble us. And I might be tempted to write off little habits like, yeah, I just, I'm a little irritated occasionally. And then the humbling reality is actually, no, no, you have become a bitter person that just finds any ear to complain to. And you see yourself in the mirror and it's humbling, but it's a gift. Or maybe you say that prejudice thing, that racist thing, and you, you hear it, you hear it for what it is. And it's a gift. And it's humbling. We're going to need to grow in being sensitive and how kind of God to give us the spirit that just keeps convicting us, actually working with the grain of our conscience, moving us toward confession and forgiveness. To calibrate our conscience, we're going to need the gift of God's gracious gift of courage because some of you, to follow your conscience, it's going to hurt, it's going to sting, it's going to cost. So you're going to need to be infused with courage, encouraged, right? To face the truth, even if it hurts, to change course in life, to go acknowledge what you've done, and it, it may be hard. There may be an easier road, a path that's much more convenient. But calibrating your conscience requires some courage. And calibrating your conscience, you're going to need patient hope. Hope that God will see this through. It may be a wreck right now. You may have, I'm sure some in the room have, a whole lot more questions than they do answers. We kind of pull that lid off and look and go, I don't even know how to calibrate. I don't even know if everything is okay. A lot of areas to examine. But the hope you can have is God is a God of patience and endurance. And you can be assured the Lord still loves you. Even today, as you said, in your conscience is a wreck. It's excusing things that it should not excuse, condemning things that you have freedom. So it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. What I do know is it will not be helpful to go, I'm going to analyze every second of every day and every motive and every intention. I'm going to do that all week long. You know you're not. We can't. It's impossible. You're going to make a million decisions probably before you leave the parking lot. So you can't overanalyze. You can't do but. But don't let that stop you from, I'm guessing, just in conversations, just knowing my own heart, I'm guessing there are a few things where your conscience has been, has been firing and you need to calibrate it. You're not sure. You're not sure if it's calibrated correctly. You're not sure if you should be feeling this thought. You're not sure if you should be believing, being open to this. You're not sure about it. You've, you're wrestling through it. You're not sure if you're sinning in this area. You're not sure. And I'd say for those areas, like, let's get ready 
to work out our salvation as God is working in us. So my encouragement, pick a few things. Pray about them. Involve community, involve friends, involve people who are for you in the Lord and be patient. I can tell you, you can work things out. But you can work things out only because I am 100% confident that God is working in you for his good purposes, for your good. So I'd like to pray, lifting us up as we're sorting through all this, lifting us up. Lord, help us calibrate our conscience. Let me pray for us, sorry. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us a conscience. And I pray that every single person, many of which I know, some of which I don't, I pray that uh, there would be a sensitivity toward you speaking even in this moment and some real help in sorting through things that may have, may have not been maybe way overdue being sorted through. So, Father, on our, on our own, uh, this all would go very pathetic. And yet, in your strength, day by day, you can change us to be more like Christ. So I pray our congregation would not, I, I pray we would not excuse anything that is sin. I, Father, I pray, Father, that we would also not be condemned in anything where we have freedom. And so teach us, Lord, by your Spirit, making us more and more like Christ. We lift our lives up to you. We're thankful for your work in us and on us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen.